Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Hey, open your Bibles if you would, too. Um, We are in Revelation chapter 3 this week, and we've been going through these letters to the congregations that Jesus was speaking directly to. The letters really speak to the spiritual condition of each individual church that were in real cities, had real pastors, had real congregations that gathered on a weekly basis. They also speak to the churches kind of throughout the ages. We see that they have hints and flavors of, of, of kind of like church history, if you would. And then certainly they speak to today. They speak to this, this church world that we all live in or are a part of in the 21st century and, and, and specifically to individual believers in those churches. When Jesus says, he or she who has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It's Revelation chapter 3, and it's the first six verses. Let's read this morning together. And if I leave stage really fast, and Jason comes up and finishes the message, you'll know that I'm heading over to St. Agnes. Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis writes, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation or a name of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." This is a, 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 a community, a city that was built up on like a thousand foot bluff and uh, it was supposedly secure from its enemies and, uh, and, and yet they had been overtaken two times during um, their history as a city. Both times they were overtaken because of sleeping soldiers. They were a wealthy city. They were connected to all the trade routes and stuff. And, and, and some commentaries speak about how they were, uh, they, fabric and woolen clothing was actually a part of some of the trade that they actually would send out and sell. They were surrounded by idolatry. They were a city given over to idols. One was the mother goddess uh, where sexual morality was involved in her worship. In this city, though, there was a a small group of Christians that had been taken out of the world, had been, you know, this gathering of believers, worshiping God, beginning with a a genuine love for Jesus Christ and serving Him, and yet the culture had sort of overtaken a majority of that congregation where they would actually have this indictment by the Lord, where they were uh, called a church that was dead. And, And I would imagine the associations that they had with, you know, uh, 
coworkers and friends and neighbors. You know, you, you, you live in a city that's given over to idolatry. You're a part of that. It's a fabric of your life and your family structure. You get saved and all of a sudden you still have these associations and this still kind of like, man, it's that influence can still have its way and have inroads into your life. Now, each letter begins with a description of Jesus, and every time he describes himself, it's in reference to chapter 1, some description about Jesus that we see about his life. Last week, the church, uh, Thyatira, he said that he was the one with flames of fire, and his feet were made of uh, brass, flaming brass, and it was you know, this, he was coming and speaking that he could see what's going on in their lives and certainly was coming to judge the things that were not uh, healthy and right in that church. Well, in this description, he gives a description of he who has the seven spirits of God. He's not speaking of that there are seven Holy Spirits that are, you know, we find in Scripture, but really it's a description of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Isaiah chapter 11, the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit. We read about it when, when Isaiah describes God as, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel and might, and knowledge and fear of the Lord. So here's a reference to the Holy Spirit, and it may be speaking to some of the missing components in this church that had this, this appearance that they were living and alive and vibrant, but inside they were actually dying and slumbering. When he says that he has the stars in his hands, he's speaking of the leaders of that church who were responsible to Jesus for how they were leading that congregation. And so he begins with an assessment, and then there's an admonishment at the end, along with some of the promises to the overcomers. So we begin with the Lord's assessment to the angel or messenger or pastor of the church. Other letters begin with a commendation. Even the letters of churches that had, had a lot of messes to be involved, there's no commendation to this church. He says, I know your works. You're an active church. He knows. He's watching. He sees what we do as a church. He also sees, more importantly, why we do the things we do as a church. There are things that are not visible to us, like motives and reality and the, and the true condition of one's heart. Jesus saw all of that. Uh, the children of Israel will call, will called out by the Lord in, in the book of Isaiah, saying that you have this outward appearance that you worship me with your lips, he says, but your hearts are far from, from me. I would imagine that this is a, kind of a, a, a similar scenario with this church in Sardis. As many would gather, right, they would gather on Sundays, and, and yet it seems like they were having little or minimal impact. Man, I pray that that's not the case for us. He, he knows us better, and he knows them better than they actually knew themselves. I wonder if this was like, again, like all the other letters that were read in a congregation like this, that if it was a, kind of like that, wait a minute, no, 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 this is for the other city, right? This is Thyatira's letter, right? Like the church next week, the church of Philadelphia, they have no criticism from the Lord. They were the city of, uh, they were the, the city of brotherly love. They're the city of Rocky. <laughs> they're the city, uh, uh, they were the church of love. Interesting that they, they were in the city known for love, Philadelphia, this, this affectionate love that we would have for one another. So he knows them. That's encouraging to know, isn't it? That the Lord knows everything that's going on in your life right now. He knows everything about what's happening in our heart, the things that we do, that the times that you serve and you don't get the public praise maybe that other people get, 
you know what? Good for you because that means that no one can steal those rewards from you, right? But he also, on the flip side, he knows. He knows everything about our lives. So that's kind of like really encouraging and then a little scary, isn't it? He says, I know that you have a name. You have a reputation is really what he's saying. You have a reputation in the church world that you're this vibrant, alive, active church. Names, uh, you know, you have a name. One, you know, some versions of the Bible say name, reputation. It's actually the, the same word can be referring to both. When, when it speaks of a name in the Bible, like these names of these cities, they actually mean something, right? Uh, the Bible says that to, to have a good name would be actually uh, better than riches or gold, right? Uh, your, it means your character. It means your, your, your reputation. Uh, my name, uh, Gordon, actually means hill of the plains. It's a lame name, isn't it? <laughs> hill of the plains. I'm like, Mom, how'd you pick my name? She's like, some of the nurses, we had a book of names, and we were going through and picking it out. I'm like, wow, I feel so special. Tom Brady, do you know what his name means? I will still win the Super Bowl at age 55. I think that's what his name means. Hate that guy. Sardis' name, they're alive. You think about name associations with churches. And you think, you hear that name of a church, you're like, man, they're alive. Man, they have so much going on. There's so much that is happening. What is their secret sauce? Because, man, it's just they have this name that they're alive. A church that everyone wanted to be a part of. They were winning in the church world in their surrounding areas. Churches looked with awe. What are they doing so right? Because they had all the externals in place. But you know what? The Lord is not, he's not, he's not impressed with all of our stuff. Well, Lord, did you know we had PowerPoint that worked Time and time again, three years running, we had this going on. We had buses. We had, you know, all these different bells and whistles. We have an app, Jesus, right? We've got an app now. You're like, welcome, River Valley, to the 21st century. Like, kids have apps. The idea is that all these externals, they meant very little to the Lord because he was seeing what was going on on the inside of their lives, they had a reputation with others that they were a spiritual church. They had a strong testimony in their eyes for Jesus and had effective ministry. Everything on the outside says a thriving, alive church. The one problem is, is that the one who sees the true spiritual condition is nothing is hidden from his sight. His verdict was, but you're dead. You have a name that you're alive. You have a reputation that you're alive, but you are dead. You have a reputation without reality. You look alive to others, but you're dead in reality. He also mentions their works. And the works that you do, you do them half-heartedly. They're incomplete in the Father's eyes. They're done perhaps with the wrong motives. He says, guys, your spiritual life is dried up. And it could be a, a, an idea is that when Jesus describes himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God, that the, the activity of the Holy Spirit was completely missing now from this congregation. That the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of the fear of the Lord was no longer active in that congregation. It's, it's almost as if 
And, and I know this to be true, being a, a, a pastor or a staffer at a church since 1990. I know there's a lot of things that we can do. There's formulas that we can put together to keep an external form of almost like a moose lodge. Hey, we're a church and we gather and we're meeting and we've got all this going on. But the Lord is the one that we should be the most concerned about. What does he think? And he tells them, guys, you have, your, you have a, a name, a reputation that you're alive, but you're actually dead. I don't know if you guys, did you guys ever see Weekend at Bernie's growing up? This is not a political reference, by the way. <laughs> Dead guy named Bernie, bringing him along. By the way, like, don't send me anonymous notes about uh, politics or anything like that, because I'm just referring to the 80s movie that won three Academy Awards that year. You're like Googling it right now, like, that's a lie. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes had it like at like a two or something like that. <laughs> so here's the plot. No, I'm just kidding. We'll move on. They're too, too busy trying to, I guess, sort of impress the crowds in a lot of ways. But they didn't notice that death had come. They forgot what the church was about. More importantly, who the church was about. It wasn't a, a church that was saying, let's pursue holiness. Let, let's allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to search our hearts so that we can continue to move closer and closer to a life that's honoring to Jesus Christ. Again, it was just activity. It was just this, this church that had this name that they were alive. They were active for the Lord, but they weren't intimate with the Lord. They didn't have that, that intimate connection with him, a reference that he says later on, and they will walk with me in robes of white. They were going through the motions. The external looked spiritual, but there was no real life that comes from the Spirit of God moving among them and in them and through them. And that's a scary spot to be as a Christian. Let's just think about our own personal life, where you can sort of get the momentum of Christianity down. You know what I mean? You've got the whole momentum thing down. You're active. You're doing church. You're listening to Christian music. But slowly... Uh, individual believer in their congregation, and slowly the majority of the congregation began to slip into that slumber where Jesus says to them, you got to wake up. you got to recognize that there's actually an issue going on. They were a social gathering at best, a club to belong to, and their preaching turned from Jesus and dealing with real issues within us like sin and repentance and, and, and calling us to a life, again, of holiness and moving closer and closer to Christ. It's okay, by the way, for us to come to church every so often and go, man, I felt convicted, like God's Spirit was convicting me. Because that's what puts us in a place of health and moving forward. This isn't the place where we should always be seeking to be coddled. Like, just tell me I'm fine. Like, the reason why we're all here is because we know that we're not fine, Right? Lord, I want you to do more in my life. They stopped having that kind of concern. They moved to a place of let's not offend anybody, so let's take sin off the topic list and the life of a Christian being an other-centered serving life, and they grew comfy, and they were content. And they were also living off their past success, which is very easy for churches to do. 
This church here could say, man, we went from a Bible study to, wow, we started meeting on Sunday mornings. We got trailers and $300 million campuses, you know, with swimming pools that we don't get to use, but, <laughs> you know what I mean? You could, oh, back in the day, remember we did this? Wow, see, that's what they were doing. They were sort of like living off their past glory, almost like Uncle Rico, you know what I mean? Like, oh, man, when I was, I could throw a pigskin a quarter mile, you know what I mean? Just like that kind of vibe. Something we notice is missing from this encouragement from the Lord. You know what it is? He doesn't encourage them to stay strong in the face of persecution. Want to know why? Because they didn't have any. The pastors weren't getting thrown in jail. Nobody's business was being sort of, you know, avoided because they were born-again Christians and, and in their society, you know, they were pagans who worshipped all kinds of different idols and gods and goddesses. And they weren't facing any persecution because they didn't create any friction in their life. There was nothing for the devil to attack. You think about that. This church, everyone thought had health. And you know what Satan was doing? Going, I I'm not going to touch him. Why would I want to mess this up? It's perfect. They think they're alive. And the Lord and all the demonic realm knew the truth. They were dead. There's no reason to attack. No reason to try to stop something that wasn't effective. There was no real change. There was no real life happening. There was no one going to jail, no one suffering. Not an effective church in the community. They weren't a church proclaiming the gospel, which will draw some friction and opposition. I read this this week and it hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Here was a statement. The community saw them neither as dangerous nor desirable. They didn't look at them as a threat saying, you're gonna, you're, your preaching is threatening uh, my business that sells these little gods and goddesses, right? Your preaching's affecting the stability of you know, my household because now my son is a Christian and now my husband's a Christian or my wife became a Christian. They didn't seem as dangerous affecting the equilibrium in their pagan world and life, but they also didn't see anything desirable in them. You know what I mean? The Christian should be the kind of person in the community that people say, like, what is different about your life? What is so unique about your life? Man, I, I, have, I have God living inside of me. My sins have been all forgiven. If you know what a mess I was in life and am still in life, to know that God loves me and accepts me and wants me to walk with him and know him. Like those are all, uh, I'm not going to hell for eternity. Can I get like a shout out? Like, hey, that's a kind of a cool secondary blessing of being a Christian, right? <laughs> You're like, no, that's like a first reason. That's a good one. Nothing dangerous, nothing desirable. They were a dead witness. They were comfortable in the community. You know, when you make a stand in your house, your team, your school, your job, that you're a believer, some will reject you. How many of you guys lost some friends when you started following Jesus Christ? How many of you had a boyfriend and girlfriend break up with you when you became a believer and started following Jesus Christ? Is that it? Hey, right? How many of you guys got a little shunned by 
a group of coworkers because all of a sudden you're like, you know what, I'm not going to stick around and listen to the gossip and the, the, the BS and the stuff that goes on, the bullshit stuff happening, right? You know what I'm talking about. I have to deal with this at my job, right? <clears throat> you might even experience some opposition. See, they weren't preaching the gospel. They weren't drawing the attention of the devil. And his tactic was let them think they're world changers, thinking that they're alive though they're dead. And that's scary for modern churches today because we can have lots of activity. We can have all the bells and whistles, if you would, the things that we want to have one day, in a building and, you know, jet airplanes. And st- I'm just kidding about the building. Uh, we want to have you know, like stuff that we can, God, do ministry and affect the community with. But, you'd, but, you, but you have to go, Lord, we would never want to be a part of anything without you being amongst it in the middle of it, driving it. I thought about that. If the Holy Spirit removed himself from actively working through River Valley Church, would anyone notice? Don't give me your answer. But as a scary thought, this is the kind of letter that, that ought to have all of us in, Lord, I, I'm not gonna, I don't want to burn another 12 months of my life slumbering when, Lord, you're calling me to awaken. We don't want to lead River Valley Church another Sunday without saying, Lord, breathe your life into us. God, let us see your spirit amongst us. Some of our meetings earlier this morning praying, God, we want to see you do the miraculous. We want to see the lost saved. We want to see the brokenhearted healed. We want to see marriages restored. We want to see people resurrected who feel like they're the walking dead among us. No system or program or book or conference can make dead things alive. You don't, there's no system, there's no conference that I could go to that can manufacture the work of the living God among us. And they were comfortable just having the stuff. Say, Lord, that's, I don't want that. They were a perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. Christianity. I almost said Christianity like Trump says Christianity, right? Did you hear that? And I haven't even drunk anything today, except for water and coffee. Challenging for us. Lord, we don't want to grow comfy. When we, when we think about them, you wonder, like, what were they concerned about in their community? Were they concerned about the loss? Were they concerned about God's movement? Were they concerned about the Lord working and convicting their hearts? When the Holy Spirit convicts our hearts among this room right now, how do we respond? Do we blow it off? We say, oh, I'm not as bad as the next guy. The Lord's admonishment to them, number two, is this. He says, wake up. The cure for spiritual slumber is to wake up, to remember, and to repent. He says, wake up, recognize there's a problem, and wake up from your spiritual slumber. The first step in revival for this church is an awareness that there's a problem. Why do they need to wake up? Because they've been asleep too long. That's when spiritual erosion happens in a person's life. That's when thieves break in, right? That's why you stay awake if you were a kid and you knew someone was going to teep your house, right? How many of you teep yours? You waited till the lights went off. How many of you snuck out without your parents knowing? Yeah, I've caught my kids sneaking out, opening up windows. I'm like, hey, get back in there. 
wait till my mom would go to sleep, right? And then that's when we would sneak out. You wait till someone's asleep. Two times the city was overtaken by their enemies because the, the soldiers, the guards of the city were asleep. And they were on the thousand foot bluff and they thought they were like this, this safe, you know, secure city. And yet it was because of the slumbering soldiers that the city was overtaken two times in history. The Bible says a little, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, and poverty and want will come upon you like a bandit. That's a great principle we read in Proverbs about your financial life, right? A little slumber, a little folding of the hands, like nobody's going to go and build your business. You got to wake up and you got to go to work, right? Nobody's going to give you money. I'm not going to make a political statement right now. I was about to, but I'm going to hold back. So, Good on Pastor Gordon today. you got to go work. That happens in your life spiritually as well, by the way. You've got to wake up. He says, wake up. Revival can come, but you need to be awakened to the reality. It also means watchful. It's the same word to be watchful, to be awake. We read in 1 Peter 5 that you are to be watchful and alert because your devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour John tells us in 2 John verse 8, watch yourselves so you don't lose what you have worked for. Speaking of, they had direction and movement and they gained ground spiritually, but if you slumber and you kind of rest on your past, you know, like, wow, we just did it, he says you'll lose even what you've gained spiritually. Matthew 24, Jesus tells the church, stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Paul tells the church in Rome this interesting uh, chapter 13, verse 11 and 14, or through 14, he says, This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. The time is running out. Wake up. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Jesus Christ's return is one day closer today than it was yesterday. By the way, your personal encounter with God is one day closer today than it was yesterday. Like, we're all getting older. We're all going to one day leave this body and see God face to face. And Paul says, wake up. He says, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your deeds, your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. I love what he says in the last verse. And don't let yourselves think about ways uh, or instead, he says, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about ways to, about ways to indulge your evil desires. He says, you got to be watchful. Spiritual deadness will come, will come. It will continue. That decay is sneaky because you buy into your being busy and you're active, but it doesn't equal spiritual life and spiritual maturity. This isn't about being a big church or a small church. It's about being a dead church or an alive church. He says, strengthen what remains, the, the things that point to spiritual life. As they looked around and they said, that stuff doesn't matter, this doesn't matter, but this vibrant prayer meeting that we have, this, this, this seeking after God in his word, these, these, these ministries that actually are really effective in, in touching lives, strengthen these things. Make sure that they are, are built up and supported so that, that you can be rewarded for that kind of effort and what you would do for God's kingdom. He says, because if you don't, what you have is about to die too. The cure for spiritual slumber is to wake up. And then he says, and remember, he says, to remember 
what you've received and heard. He's speaking of the word of God that they had received. We read about the same kind of acceptance that they had uh, of God's word in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He said that they received the word of God as it was from God himself in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Go back to the message you heard at first and hold on to it or actually keep it. And then he says to repent. It just means to turn back to God. That's the cure. That's the recipe for personal revival is to wake up and to remember the word and obey it and then to turn back. And he says, but if not, judgment will come to them. This wasn't speaking of eternal judgment. This is speaking of that the church would actually be removed from existing as a congregation in a light because it no longer existed as a light. The church in Ephesus had a similar uh, statement given to them. And unless you repent, unless you go back to that first love you had, I will come and I will remove your, your lampstand or your candlestick, which spoke of the church. He says, judgment will be sudden and swift like the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's not referring to his arrival and the second coming. He's just saying that it will come like a thief. Now, despite the fact the church was dead, there were some who had not yet slumbered or hadn't fallen asleep they hadn't, he says, defiled their garments, if you would, meaning they hadn't compromised with the pagan society around them. I was thinking about that. What, what came first? The sort of slumbering and sleepiness and then the compromise back into sin? Or was it the compromise back into sin that actually led to this dead spiritual state of sleeping and slumbering? It really doesn't matter because they're kind of connected. You allow your life to get back into that kind of that, that mess that Jesus rescued you out of, you eventually will begin to be the slumbering state of a Christian and vice versa. That closeness with Jesus is tied to purity. It's interesting. He says this about them. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed less in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. They hadn't grown complacent. They had a promise that they would be in white robes, but notice that what's attached to it. And they will walk with me. There's a closeness that they would experience. There is an intimacy in this relationship. And this greater intimacy isn't because they had earned salvation. Salvation comes by grace and faith alone in Jesus Christ. But they experienced this intimacy and this walking with him and given these white robes because they were more interested in the things of God than compromise with the sinful culture that was around them. And he says that their names will not be blotted out. All who have faith in Jesus, all who are genuinely saved, will, their names will never be blotted out of the book of life and they will be those conquerors who endure to the end. They were assured of heavenly citizenship because they walked with Jesus and they were clothed in his righteousness, given these white robes. And he says, and I'll confess your name before the Father and before the angels of heaven, that we belong to him. That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? <laughs> your name is written somewhere in a book in heaven. And, and, and so what does that mean, that their name is blotted out of the book of life? The idea is that, that every person who's ever been born, that their name is written in the book of heaven. 
And until they get to that moment where they die and they cement forever their decision about Jesus Christ, their name is there. But if you continue to reject Jesus Christ and you end up stepping into eternity, rejecting him and the gospel, the idea is that your name is actually removed from the book of life. I hope, I hope it's like with strong ink <laughs> in heaven. It is because it's actually through the blood of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. He says, your name will not be blotted out. When an unbeliever dies, it's no longer an option. And apparently their name is blotted out of the book of life. And yet everybody's name is in that book of life until that moment of final rejection. You know, maybe this morning, you know, as I read through this letter, and these letters, man, they are, uh, they are heavy, aren't they? I mean, they are just like, let me tell you what's up. This is like your, your, your midterm, um, you know, kind of meeting with your teacher. And uh, maybe you didn't have meetings like that. I did. I always left optimistic. Like, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> you know, one in a million. So you're saying there's a chance. This is, a, this is a gr the greatest moment for this church is when they got this letter. Because revival and hope was still there. I was thinking about my own life because I got to deal with me. You got to deal with you. Don't think about who's not here today and go, oh, I wish they were here. Boy, they're asleep right now. They actually may be asleep right now. But you deal with yourself. Lord, what do I need to awaken to? What are some areas of my life that are slowly slumbering, maybe even dying? Slowly, your life and my life can fade into sort of a little nice Christian existence where it's, it's, it's not alive, it's not vibrant, it's not passionate. He says, hear what the Spirit says to the churches today. You have apathy in your heart right now and you think about your own walk with God? Is it just like you just you, you set it in motion, you know? You, it's just kind of happening, your relationship with God or your Christian experience, you're just moving along you know, the sort of the, your past experience and your decisions you've made in the past have kind of given you enough fuel to kind of keep going. You know what I mean? But your tank's running on empty. Maybe there's apathy in your heart. You wake up. God, there's a real situation going on. He says, remember what you have heard, right, and how you received it. He says, get back to God's word. Get back to hearing from God and the Holy Spirit speaking to you in his word as you open it daily and allow him to guide you through his word and to instruct your life and you seek to obey it and put it into practice in your life. And you turn today, you repent. Repentance, what a great gift God has given us, the church, the gift of repentance. It literally just means change direction. God, I've, I've been doing this my own way and it might even be a form of Christianity but it's not living, it's not alive, it's not what God wants for your life. And by the way, it's neither dangerous nor desirable to have that kind of life. He says, wake up, remember what you have heard and received, and repent. You know, some signs for me that I'm slowly sleeping is personal desire for holiness. Like, really going, Lord, search my heart, and, and allowing things to sort of creep back in your life, attitudes, animosity, 
right? Lust. Just things that maybe as a new Christian, you're like, oh, I don't want that, Lord. That's, that's, that's harmful to my relationship with you. Paul tells us in Ephesians to not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. Do you know what that means? That you've been given God's Spirit and He'll never depart from you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. But you can grieve God's Spirit and you get stuck in a, in a, in a in sort of a, a spot in life where you stop growing in your Christian life. You might know more Bible. You might know more Christian books. You might be able to sing the, the latest Hillsong, you know, worship song better than everybody else. But you part your life, and I park my life when we actually begin to grieve God's spirit and don't listen to him. A sign that you and I are slumbering is what is our real relationship to God in this quest for holiness, right? This desire, Lord, I want to be as far away from the edge of sin and the cliff of temptation as I can get because, God, I really want to know you intimately. I want to walk with you in that white robe, you know what I mean? That intimacy and closeness with Jesus Christ. A desire for holiness, a personal connection to the Lord, right? Caring about what God cares about. You know what God cares most about? Souls. Souls. This morning, there are people that are are going to die a Christless eternity. You and I know personally. We have a relationship with them. There are people that I've become friends with at coffee shops. I know that's shocking. I've never met a stranger. I'm like, hey, are we best friends? I go in, and I have interaction with them on a daily basis. And every so often, I'm like, dude, do they even know you're a pastor? Do they even know that you know, do you even have a freaking care in the world of finding out where their soul is? Speaking to me so I can say words like that. That's a, that's a sign for me. Oh, dude, you are slumbering. We could keep this machine going, right? And we got a trailer outside. Oh, we must be alive. We got a Bible app. Oh, we must be alive. If there's not Fresh life happening inside here, this, this with people, right? Not stuff, with people. There's, a, there's a, that moment we need to go, oh Lord, we need to wake up too. We need to wake up too. There's a second half for RVC. There's a second half for me personally. There's a second half for you personally. There was a second half for this church in Sardis. When they got that report card, they were like, dang, is there anything good? Yeah you can actually wake up and experience fresh, vibrant life from God. He desires, God desires that you and I would live for him in, in such a way to know him and to care about what he cares about and to be that vibrant, spiritual, like, follower of Christ. Maybe you just need to do some business with the Lord as we close off our time in worship. Or maybe this morning, you need to, like, literally spiritually awaken you don't know today if you were to die that you would go to heaven. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You're not certain if your sins are forgiven right now. Every service at RBC, we like to give somebody an opportunity, your friends, 
you personally an opportunity to say, man, I, I, want, I want Jesus in my life. I want my sins forgiven. What does that look like? Well, it begins with you recognizing you're a sinner. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. It also comes to where you and I choose to repent from our sin. We've been living our own life. We say, God, now I want to live a life that's closer to you, and I want to go in your direction. And we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. We receive him into our lives. The Bible says that he or she who, who receives him into their life, that he will make them a son or daughter for those who would believe. If that's you today, man, I'd love to give you that opportunity. Would you all pray with me now? Father, thank you for your love and your grace. And God, thank you today for this gift of eternal life that each one of us have been given who believed in you. And Lord, thank you for the gift uh, and challenge, Lord, that we read in these letters. Lord, what a gift it was to that church in Sardis to get the real, the real situation, that they might repent and, and, and get back on track to do what you said, Lord, to wake up. I'd imagine, God, there are, are parts of each one of our lives, God, that need to awaken again to the things of God. And so, Lord, let that be so true for us this week. Lord, let there be such a spiritual vibrancy in each one of our lives, God, that it affects the congregation, Lord. And Lord, this is a place that, that swells up with people, God, wanting to know uh, who you are, Lord, and wanting you in their life.